Hello, and welcome to When Survival Looks Like Success. Our episode today is called The Workhorse Workforce, and I'm sure it is something that a lot of you are going to be able to relate to. In fact, it may be a reason why many of you became entrepreneurs or contractors yourselves, or maybe why you may be thinking of starting up your own business. So before we get started, I wanted to touch on where the name of this podcast comes from and how it came into fruition. So in this book called Something More by Sarah Bonbrethnock, who is a New York Times bestselling author, she had this chapter in there called When Survival is Called Success. And that really hit home with me in a way I can't explain. It was like those words just like went right into my soul. And this chapter is a story about a woman, but I wanted to read an excerpt for you so you can kind of get inside my head a little bit. So she says, like it or not, many of us like Helen find too much of our worth in our work. Our careers become personal Richter scales, measuring the seismic and psychic value we place on ourselves. Close a sale, make a deadline, lose a case. The earth rumbles beneath our feet every day. And we're judged so much by what we do, what we accomplish, our accolades. And don't get me wrong, I'm no stranger to that either. I have been trying to get accolade after accolade after accolade since I opened, because unfortunately, that's what people are looking at. So she says, that's why it's important when we select role models in life and work to remember that we're all human, even women who seem to do it all. The truth is, no one can do it all at the same time, and we all know that. So why not start calling people who appear to have achieved a balance between the various demands on them our reality models, keeping in mind that even they don't walk the balance beams perfectly every day. It's just that when they fall, they get back up and try again. We don't see all the failure. We don't see all the falling that happens when it comes to success. We see the beautiful, polished image at the end of it. Something that I hear a lot that people say to me, even just yesterday, is people say, it looks like you have everything together. Like you have really got your shit together. And I crack up when they say that. I mean, I laugh my ass off because nothing could be further from the truth at all. So back back to today's episode. So do you remember that Justin Timberlake movie that came out a few years back where time is currency? Like time literally equaled money and it was the way of life and you had to have it. And it was this big old action movie and you have to like cheat death and it's kind of crazy. But it was set as this parallel universe. But I think they were really onto something. Because if you think about it, value can be rather fleeting. Money is just paper. Minerals deplete, resources get used up, and even trades and skills are diminishing in today's marketplace as so many jobs are created for this newer man-made universe. But the one thing that still holds this incredible amount of value, and should, is time. So how is it that over 66% of women and 85% of men work more than 40 hours a week? That's a huge number. I want you to really think about that. 
66% of women and 85% of men in America work more than 40 hours a week. And more importantly, why are they okay with that? So let me backtrack for a minute and tell you a story. A client I had years ago worked like three jobs. Her goal was to retire early by like 55, which is crazy that we even consider that early as it's over half your life. I mean, 55, come on. And the average retirement age is what, like 65? It's just, it's crazy. Anyways, so long story short, she had a heart attack. And as she was recovering, the thing she was most upset about was not being able to go back to work. This woman with three jobs. She was working so hard and sacrificing all this time to attempt to get to a point where she didn't have to be working so hard and sacrificing all this time. But at the rate she was going, she would never even make it. Time was flying by, and we never know when our clock is up. I don't see her anymore, but honestly, I wonder if she ever made it. I hope she did. I hope she finally crossed the finish line. Because otherwise, you sacrificed all of those years for literally nothing. And I wonder how many other people do the exact same thing. Which is why this episode is called The Workhorse Workforce. It is an entire country, society, and generation being told, taught, trained to think that working over a third of your life is completely acceptable. And is it all for naught, though? I mean... We do exchange currency for comforts like cars, gas, food, and shelter, but think about all the extra shit we don't need. I can guarantee you can close your eyes right now and think of at least 10 things you could get rid of that you don't need, that you would never need for survival. Like Diddy said back in the day, mo money, mo problems. That's truth. We have been brought up to think that we need so much more in our lives than we do. Things like Boats and expensive vacations and new tech every couple of years, new cars every couple of years. But what do we really need? Love, compassion, connection, experiences, peace of mind, self confidence. Let's be real money doesn't buy happiness. It's a saying for a reason. Can it alleviate some stressors? Of course. But is there far too much focus on sacrificing our beautiful time for all of that dough? Well, definitely. There is way too much focus on it. When I was about 19 or 20, I worked at Victoria's Secrets at the mall. And I was an aspiring manager, climbing my way up the corporate ranks at a whopping $7.35 an hour. (laughs) I had a heinous boss. I mean, this bitch was evil. She was a total control freak who secretly must have gotten off on her power trip and lording over all these young women. And the store I worked at had like maybe 60 to 80 employees. And she was like our overlord. She was this huge, towering, just B-style woman. And uh, she and she flaunted it for sure. So on Christmas Eve, she had us work till the store was pristine perfect. Like refolding panties over and over and over. It was ridiculous, right? So I race home. I get in my car. I fly home because it's Christmas Eve, right? I get back to my grandma's, but it's over. Like Christmas, 
celebration, Christmas Eve dinner, all that stuff, all those traditions, it was over. It was all over. I missed the whole fucking thing. And I remember throwing myself on the bed and sobbing, like ugly choke sob crying. And it was the last one that my uncle, who loved Christmas, was alive. And I missed it. I missed all of it. I should have just walked the fuck out, flipped them off, cussed that chick out. But I was so concerned about the job and the need to make money that I sacrificed this precious time for a pitiful salary. Because that's what society conditions us to do. That's how we're supposed to think. You go in, you do your work, you make your money, you figure the rest of your life out. But you have to like finagle all that and orchestrate that around the job. So how did it all begin? Where did the 40-hour work week originate? In 1817, Robert Welsh was this labor rights activist, and he had a saying. He said, eight hours labor, eight hours recreation, eight hours rest. He thought this was fair for contributing to an evolving society and fair for the individual. Makes sense, right? The Industrial Revolution brought on the 100-hour work week, (laughs) where they were literally working men to death on a daily basis and leaving a whole bunch of single mommies at home to do everything else, just women raising kids by themselves because their men were literally dying on a daily basis. But by the time our good old boy Ford came around to Detroit, he changed the game because he found productivity increased by reducing the work week to 40 hours. And of course, it only took an influential man of power and a century to figure that pearl of wisdom out. Statistically, people who work any overtime are less healthy, more apt to make errors, way more, they call off sick more, and they have more reduced productivity. And 40 hours is an average standard of measurement. For some people, myself included, 32 is about the max I can do per week before starting to feel the intense effects of burnout. And burnout is not something you can recover from in like a day. I was actually just talking to my friend about this this morning. You might need several days, weeks, months to recover from the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms that come along with really severe burnout. We may be becoming more physically evolved to deal with today's modern society and its demands, but by no means are we mentally where we need to be, at least speaking from a biological point of view anyways. I think it's time to reevaluate the 40-hour standard for this day and age. Because with phones in our hands, laptops, watches, tablets, everything is always at our disposal and the work never ends. We bring it home. It calls us, it interrupts dinner, it like chimes at us during sex, it yells at us when we don't respond within 15 minutes, we are chained to it. And big industries love every second of it. More connectivity has become way more responsibility and thus way more off-the-clock work. And what about individual biology? What about the breastfeeding mom and the woman with an autoimmune disorder? or the man with clinical depression. 40 hours can feel like a lifetime for one of those individuals. And that woman with an autoimmune disorder, that's me. So I have Epstein-Barr. And Epstein-Barr is essentially the virus that causes mono. Like, you know, the kissing disease mono that you get in high school from like making out too much. So I got 
that I can guess, I got Epstein-Barr when I was like five, and they didn't test me for mono at the time. I think they said I had like pneumonia and bronchitis, but they just weren't sure. I was just very sick for like a lot of months. And they probably weren't thinking that this five-year-old was like going around like kissing boys. But of course, I was like, you know, trying to kiss like these Italian twin neighbors in a tent. And oh God, I was a mess. Anyways, so I get Epstein-Barr later in life. And I didn't find out I had Epstein-Barr until a couple years ago. But it made a lot of sense because Epstein-Barr, essentially, when it reactivates, like certain viruses can reactivate. Uh, Chickenpox, for example, becomes shingles, and then you can get shingles, uh, shingle outbreaks later in life, which is a lot harder to deal with as an adult. And so Epstein-Barr is the same way. It can lay dormant in your body and just stay dormant forever. Or you can have it reactivate and flare up at different moments and periods. Like if you have a physical stressor or a new medication or a lot of stress at work, your immune system will start getting really hyperactive and then you'll actually start having like mutations occur within your body that can trigger, well, I think they found it in like 21 autoimmune diseases. They found Epstein-Barr traces and cancers. So I try to be pretty cautious about that. And with impending burnout and working too much, it's for sure a huge trigger for me for Epstein-Barr. And I get symptoms like my legs will give out. I'll be extremely weak. I'll get dizzy. I mean, I'll fall asleep at the wheel. So I have to be really cautious if I get a flare-up. And a flare-up can last three days, it can last a week, it can last months. So it's not something you want to screw around with. So when it comes to like a 40-hour work week, it's, yeah, that's like a general standard. But you have to apply yourself to that situation. Is 40 hours too much for you? When I was prepping my speech for International Women's Day in Detroit, I came across a study where they actually calculated how much free time the average woman in America has per week. And the answer, four hours a week. Four. So much for that whole eight hours of recreation a day theory that our friend from 1817 or whatever it was, like, thought. No, four hours a week. The problem is that even our recreation time is jammed with work-like responsibilities, which leaves us with this dwindling free time that isn't centered around the almighty dollar. I mean, how much of your off time is still spent working? You're answering the phone. You're scheduling appointments. You're doing all these crazy errands and mowing the lawn and on and on and on. You're not actually doing stuff that's necessarily feeding your soul for eight hours a day. No, we're doing all this other stuff that we've had to develop to enjoy the comforts we have in life. The average American actually works seven hours for free off the clock every single week, and it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And seven hours may not seem like a lot, but that's a full night's sleep. So think about how you feel if you weren't getting a full night's sleep. And those hours are for free. They're staying late. They're answering emails. They're training somebody. And people just take advantage of it. Businesses take advantage of that. Statistically, studies have proven people are much more effective at work when reducing days and hours even further. But of course, none of these studies have ever been done here in America. They're all overseas. So if we have all this knowledge, then why are we still slaving away? And what can you actually 
do about it? There is no one right answer here. The whole point of this and every episode we do is to help you think about it. Think about what's right for you and your circumstance and decide what you're willing to give up for that green wad of cash. For me, it was opening my own business, reducing my hours, and taking off a half week every six weeks. That works for me. I feel healthier, well-balanced, and I can still pay all of my bills. I have time to socialize and to dream and to create. I think a lot of us were finally able to sample life off the clock during shutdown. And not everybody. Some people got the other end of the spectrum, where during shutdown, they brought their work home. And that work from home mentality meant they could work a lot more. There was no commute. And especially people with like salary jobs were working more than they ever had in their entire lives. But for some of us, we got that time off the clock. And those three months allowed people to finally slow down and appreciate what they had and really make the most of their time. Whether it was accomplishing personal projects, getting control of their health, or just resting with family, they finally connected to how valuable their time is. But now that the majority of the U.S. at least has opened back up and people are returning to physical offices, the demand is just as high. And the expectancies are through the roof. Expectancies? That's not even a word. Expectations. Bear with me. You know, I'm on my first coffee of the day. We live in an instant gratification society, and we have lost our patience with having to wait. It is so strange to me how people have no qualms about working 10 hours of overtime, but God forbid DoorDash is like 10 minutes late. Our priorities definitely need to change with this instant gratification society. Like, think about how much, if you weren't working so much overtime, would you feel as rushed as you do? Would you feel like, oh my gosh, I have to get here by this time and I got to get my food in 20 minutes and I have 30 minutes to eat? Would you feel as cramped if you weren't working all that overtime? I mean, really think about that and how that And that impact on you has an impact on everybody else because, you know, our actions are all cyclical. I think a great place to start when it comes to making some pretty life-altering decisions about how and where to spend your time is by doing a personal inventory. Are you happy with how much you work? Is there a reason for it? Can you change it or change jobs? I mean, really? Fear is typically one of our more powerful motivators when it comes to money, and we will be having an upcoming episode about that as well with a guest. But if you answered any of your questions with a certain level of unhappiness, then where can you set up some boundaries or make changes? Is it time for you to open a new business or go down to a contingent status or just take some much-needed time off work? When do you draw your personal line in the sand? A big problem we have with the workhorse workforce is this other notion that our time is not of equal value. And make no mistakes, my darlings, whether you are an engineer or an astronaut or a bartender or a salesperson, your time is all worth the same amount. So it does not matter whether you are doing open heart surgery or you are doing construction on the road, an hour is an hour is an hour, and it is equal. And it's invaluable. It's fleeting. 
It's borrowed. Collectively, we need to make a change to be verbal about and set industry standards to prevent this overworking burnout nation. Otherwise, the perpetual motion machine will never stop. Give a man an inch, they say. And it is not a lie. Don't give away your inch. Preserve what matters to you. And if you get stuck in the rat race yet again, set a date and time to reevaluate your situation. Personally, I reevaluate my situation every three months. I look and see where am I wasting time? How can I consolidate something? What's going to make my life easier without sacrificing what I need to pay for things in this man-made world? In case you need a reminder, you are not stuck. I hear that all the time. Well, I'm stuck in my job. I'm stuck in this position. I can't leave. You are never stuck. You may be, you may be, (laughs) you may be led to think you are, but you're not. Your position isn't permanent. You can change and change can be good. I mean, it can actually be fucking phenomenal. So what's actually stopping you? I have fallen flat on my face a million times, sacrificed too much time, obsessed about not having enough time, infatuated with trying to make the most of my time, which was all in it a waste of time, a total waste of time. Don't give it all away. Don't become a cog in a broken system. Become the wrench that fixes the machine. Become a better machine. Let go of being a machine. I'd love to hear back from you. If you are struggling with this, let's talk about it. Let's figure out a plan and some solutions to start getting out of survival mode and into your own version of success. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at TikTok and when survival looks like success. Take care, my friends.